Let me invite you to take your Bibles and join us in the book of Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. We'll read there in a moment. We won't stay there too long. We will be moving around a bit this morning. I hope you will consider the word of the Lord together with me. You see on the front of your bulletin my title this morning, Living in Exile with a Responsibility for Peace in the Church. In the immediate context, I'd like to apply that phrase to our upcoming election. As we saw a week ago from 1 Peter chapter 1, Christians live on the earth as exiles in a foreign land. Our true home, it turns out, is not here. We're on a journey through this life to the life to come, promised to us by our Savior. We've been bought by His eternal blood. We're no longer our own, and we must follow Him. He's our true King and our only true Sovereign. The ways of God are therefore more important to us than the ways of man. The agenda of God is more important to us than the agenda of man, including the agenda of nations and the agenda of politicians. If ever we are forced to choose between God and man, we choose God. This is the way of God. This is the way of God's people. He, that is God, alone has the keys to life and death, and he alone has promised to take us safely home. It doesn't matter today which nation you live in, you won't live there forever. You will die and you will face judgment. And you'll stand before the one true king. And on that day, you'll be reminded again that it matters that you followed him first and most. But until the day of our departure, we are to live on the earth and are to be citizens of this world. We have a responsibility to be salt and light and ambassadors of this one true king. In America, that includes the responsibility to vote, to elect our own government. A good and righteous act as Christian people is to vote for good government. Romans 13 tells us, we saw this a week ago, that government is God's idea and that we are to support the government in the pursuit of good. We're to help the government keep its eye on doing good. This is the role that God has given us as Christians. Also, a week ago, we read from Micah chapter 6, verse 8, where we read, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Though God told Israel this again and again, they repeatedly followed leaders, big and small, that did not do this. They were led by bad men, and they themselves were bad followers of bad men, so that God constantly brought them low through judgment. Read the Old Testament. It is a dumpster fire of people following bad people, people choosing bad people. The Bible is replete with warning after warning that God is not ignorant, asleep, disconnected, distracted, unconcerned, or inept. His will is clear, and his timing is his business. But hear me clearly. If God did not spare Israel because of their unbelief, 
and their subsequent rejection of the ways of God, then neither will God spare any other nation. Many believe that God is judging America today for her continued downward spiral into immorality and for her disregard for human life. Perhaps we're living in the days prophesied by Paul to young Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, 1 to 5, where Paul wrote this to Timothy. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. Whether these days are those days, we'll know soon enough. But what concerns me is our immediate responsibility to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. We are the people of God. We are not all of the people of God, but we are not less than that. We are responsible to live as exiles in the service of our King, who's gathered us together in a local church. And we are responsible to pursue good government in the service of our King. So how should we react when we find ourselves agreeing on the same goal, good government, but disagreeing with some of our fellow exiles as to whether candidate A or candidate B is the proper choice to give us good government? Well, I want to show you three things. And I will tell you, I would love to talk about this for hours did I mention I aspired to be a politician when I was in college? I moved along, but at one time I thought it was a good choice for me. I've determined that I like information a lot. And secondly, I like to argue about my information. And I've noticed some of you are a lot like that. You love to argue about your information. To make your point, to prove your point. To capture the high ground, if you will, and defend your position. That's not a bad thing until it is. And the problem with people who love to do that is we never know when we've done too much. So it's just better sometimes to stay out of the conversation because you're not going to cure everybody's wrong-headedness, friend. You're not. I'm a pastor, and if I may be a little bit, give me a bit of a moment of levity. I'm just teasing here. Can I say that? As good a sermons as y'all hear week after week after week, some of y'all still don't get it. I'm teasing. But I'm telling you, the mind of man is a complicated web because the heart of man is somehow in the mix. 
And our hearts are all over the map. The flesh is a, it's a study. My goodness, it's a study. People are not all on the same page, even God's people. So if you like candidate A over candidate B, good for you. If you like candidate B over candidate A, good for you. But I want to talk to you this morning about what's more important than even that, and that is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, blood-bought by the eternal Savior. God has called me to be a citizen of two kingdoms, even as you, and I have a responsibility to both, but one of them is more important than the other. I used to say one of them trumps the other, but I stopped saying that, all right? Turned a, turned a really good word into something else, so we're moving along. It just is not valuable for us to recognize or to believe that somehow the earthly kingdom is more important. So let me show you what the Bible says about it. Let's start with Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. He's writing to folks who live in the Greek world. These are not Jewish people, but they have Jewish people in their church. So it is a church that's mixed. It's a mixed church. By the way, is there such a church that's not mixed? No, there is no such church. There are political persuasions that differ in virtually every church you could name. There are men and women. There are rich and poor. There are all kinds of divisors, things that divide us in every church. And so there is no such thing as a church that is either homogenous or somehow uh, everybody feels the same, believes the same, does the same. Uh, we will divide over major things and we will divide over trivial things, like whether or not you like dark meat or white meat. We'll divide over whether it should be beef or pork, which is worth dividing over, by the way, sometimes. But God's way, as we shall see, is unity in the church, not uniformity. How do we know this? Because he tells us so. Look at chapter 2, verse 11. Therefore, Remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, that's non-Jews, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Now, don't miss that point. It's made in the flesh. What really characterizes the difference here? It's not something that's innate. It's something that's done to them outside of them. It's something that's done to their bodies. It's done in the flesh by hands. It's like saying, some of you guys have long hair, some of you guys have shaved heads, and that, that's supposed to divide us? It's done outside of you. It's not a definition of who you are. It's not the essence of who you are. It is a, if, if you will, a descriptor of what we appear to be, what looks like on the, but it's outside of us. It's not us. It's just hair. Verse 12, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. But now, important phrase, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace 
who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. In other words, he writes to these Gentiles, you once were outsiders, but now you're in the family. Consider the metaphor of adoption here. You once were outside of the family, but now by some sort of legal fiat, some legal determination, you are every every much a part of the family as any other part of the family. You've been joined together. And what defines that? In this case, it's the work of the Father who through his only begotten Son made us one, breaking down the wall of hostility and making us one. I used this illustration in the second service last week. I'll use it this morning in this service. My dad... I graduated high school in 1975. The first election I could vote in was 1976, and I did not vote the same party that my dad voted. My dad died in 2011, and every four years, he never voted the same way I did. I don't tell people who I vote for, and I'm not telling you who I'm voting for, but I did tell my dad because he was my dad. And he told me, because he loved to spar about it for about two minutes. And then it got rough. So I decided years ago, we're going to move along. My dad canceled out my vote every year of my life. He never voted for who I voted for. but he never stopped being my dad. And I'll tell you something, friends. In the economy of God, in the plan of God, in the wisdom of God, in the culture of God, in the church of God, God intends that every one of his family remain family. And we're going to cancel out some votes amongst us. And you can make that a test if you want to. But you're going to be out of step with God if you do. And you're going to be out of step with God's plan for your life.
if you do. God's way is unity, not uniformity. Some of us don't look anything like anybody else in this room. And some of us look a lot like other people in this room. Some of us have all kinds of other ways that define us. And the world loves to put people in boxes. But if you read the Bible, the Bible doesn't ever do that. The Bible says God took people from their boxes and put them in a brand new box that's big enough for all of them at the same time. And if they'll keep their eye on Jesus, then I'll worry about it. So be careful. There's another passage that illustrates this. Romans 15. Just two verses here, 5 and 6. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That together you may with one voice there needs to be one voice and one song that we sing together and that nothing shall distract us from it. And it's that song that Jesus Christ is Lord. And he is our one true king. And in the meantime, we have to be salt and light. And we will differ as to how we perceive how best to be salt and light. But we will not separate because this is not the will of God. God's way is unity, not uniformity. Let us never forget that. Secondly, God's way is the way of peace, not conflict or judgment of others' motives. God's way is peace, not conflict or judgment of other people's motives. Since we're in Romans, just turn back one chapter to Romans 14. You'll see again this very familiar passage, chapter 14, verse 1 and following. We'll see illustrated here that God does not give us permission to judge other people's motives. He uh, uses the illustration that would be culturally appropriate in their day, which was, do you eat meat that's been sacrificed to idols or meat meat at all? That's a big deal then, a bit less of a deal today. And then secondly, he uses the illustration of folks who've come out of Judaism who have, have all these holy days. Judaism has a series of festivals, Passover, Pentecost, Rosh Hashanah, Day of Atonement, so forth. So if you're a Jewish person, you have a lot of cultural parties. And there is that thing of the Sabbath. Every seven days, there is this sacred holy day. But if you're a Gentile, you don't know Rosh Hashanah at all. You're not Jewish. Most of us in this room are, are Gentiles. Most of us watching uh, on the live stream are Gentiles. You don't even know what Rosh Hashanah is about. And so somebody comes in and you say, why aren't you observing Rosh Hashanah? Well, I don't know anything about it. What is it? Well, it's this day where we remember this and this and this. Well, you know, that has got nothing to do with me. That's not my people. That's not my stuff. That's not my history. That's your history. I respect that, but that's not my history. So you see, if you try to push people into conformity, then you separate people. 
You divide people. But the goal of God is that we would be people of peace. So watch these verses here, Romans 14, 1 to 12. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel. You're welcome here, but if you want to start an argument, you're not. Not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. Let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Think of that. The Lord says, you don't have any right to tell God how to run his church. You don't have God, you don't have the right to tell God how to run his world. We are followers of Christ. Now, following Christ doesn't look the same. If you're in a, another part of the world, clothing looks different, the music is different, the services worship is different, the day of worship is different. The culture is altogether different. It's not wrong. It's just different. They don't eat mashed potatoes in a lot of the world. It's a shame. I know. But it's the way it is. And so when you go there, you don't look for mashed potatoes. And you don't sit around and complain because they're not serving you mashed potatoes. Instead, you say, glory to God. I'm not starving. I get to eat that. I've never had that. You develop a little adventurous spirit. Praise God. New foods, new cultures, new songs, new dress, new services of worship, new days of worship. But you see, if all you want to do is argue or produce conflict or judge other people as whether their way is better than yours, well, friend, I will tell you, you're not in the will of God. I think of it this way. I don't know if you've uh, ever watched Australian rules football, but that ain't football. Okay, virtually none of you have, so I'll move along. Uh, it's not football. It's Australian rules football. Well, it is football, but it's not. It's not what you think when you say football. And so you can sit around and you can get real judgmental about that and say, well, that's because that's not football. You know, I'm not going to root for that. I'm not going to play that, whatever. Well, it turns out if you're in a culture where that's really all there is, it's either that or nothing. Guess what? It won't take you long, but you'll say, you know, I'm, I really like sports. I really like athletic competition. I really like, you know, guys sweating all over each other and hitting one another and all that. I really like that, and this is the best thing going, so I think I'm going to go do this. I'm going to watch this, and I'm going to pick a team, and pretty soon you're going to be a fan. You ever seen cricket? Cricket is not baseball. They have a ball. They have a something they call a pitch, but it's not a pitch. If you think baseball, you watch cricket and you say, that's not baseball. No, it's not baseball. They don't even pretend it's baseball. It's cricket. But if you're where they don't have baseball and you like bats and balls and hitting stuff a long way, you'll, you'll be a cricket fan. You just will. Why? Because cricket's better than baseball? That's not even the conversation. We're not debating that. Nobody wants to argue that. The point is that when you come to Christ, Christ changes your world. Look at verse 5, Romans 14. One person esteems one day is better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Coming back to that verse. 
The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord. He gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord, and he gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. In other words, if the Lord is happy, who are you to say he shouldn't be? We're his children. He's our master. And if our master is happy with us, because we chose not to eat those foods, or we chose not to worship in that, on that day, or we chose to worship on that day, or chose to, worship, or to eat those foods, or any other conviction, if you will, conscience issue. If our Lord is happy, if we've done this unto the Lord, and the Lord says, good, thank you for rendering that unto me. You did this out of honesty, integrity of heart, sincerity. Great. Who are you? to tell somebody, you didn't do that under the Lord. You did it wrong. It's a matter of conscience. And we're talk, not talking about things that are clearly revealed in Scripture. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not lie. These things are clearly revealed in Scripture. We're talking here about matters of conscience, issues that are not specific in the Scripture, but are drawn from our understanding of principle or our understanding of the ethics of the Bible. The way we think this would apply to my life. And I'm going to apply it this way. As for me, I like meat. I'm not a vegetarian. Don't want to be. Don't need to be. But if you're a vegetarian under the Lord, I don't mean just a vegetarian because you're, you don't have any religious connotation, but under the Lord, if that's who you are, fine, wonderful, glorious. It's just exactly fine. And we don't need to divide. Because God's way is peace, not judgment of other people's motives. Go back here to verse 5. The last phrase in verse 5 says, each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. In other words, it's quite all right for you to have your mind completely made up. It's quite all right on matters of conscience that you don't have to come all around to somebody else's way of thinking. In fact, he says so. Be fully convinced in your own mind. I've got all kinds of things that are idiosyncratic in my life. I mean, I'm just full of idiosyncrasies. I just am. And I'm married to somebody who's got another set of idiosyncrasies. My wife is idiosyncratic. And I've been hanging out with y'all for a long time. And I've noticed some of you are really idiosyncratic. You just have things that are just, they just define you. They just, they just, that's just who you are. Cut you, you bleed those things. We, we kind of know that about one another. But the end of the day is, if you're passionate about those things under the Lord, if, they, if they're your offering, as it were, to God, I don't mean that they're wrong, but they're, they're your conviction that as a follower of God, I should be this kind of person. As a follower of God, I'll give you an illustration. I was telling a, a group of men in the church a couple of weeks ago, as, as regards my quiet time in the morning, I will not have a quiet time until I have showered. I will not. Do you know why? Because I decided that was important. Do you know where that is in the Bible? It's not there. And you might say, well, why do you do that? Because I'm idiosyncratic. It makes sense to me. I'm not telling you it's something you should do. Don't hear me say, Brother Greg thinks you ought to shower before you have your quiet time. I don't believe that for you. 
but I believe that for me. It's between me and God. It's honest. It's sincere. It's my humble gift to God that I won't have body odor when I have a quiet time. Well, any more than I can get rid of body odor. I want to be honest with God. And it just seems this is a part of the equation for me. Okay, it's idiosyncratic. You wish you hadn't come to church because you didn't really need to know that, but it's a fact. You've got your things that you offer to God, that you conduct your life unto God, and it's fine. God's way is a way of peace, not a conflict of judging other people's motives. Thirdly, God's way is for his people to trust that he can accomplish his will with or without perfect people or perfect government. God's way is for his people to trust that he can accomplish his will with or without perfect people or government. Let me show you an illustration of this in the Old Testament, Psalm 33. Psalm 33. I, I can't, I don't have time to read the whole thing, so let's just start in verse 6. Psalm 33, verse 6. God's way is for his people to trust that he can accomplish his will with or without perfect people or government. By the word of the Lord, verse 6, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their host. He gathers the water of the sea as a heap. He puts the deep in the storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation, and by its great might it cannot rescue. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in, their in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield, for our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. Go back again to verse 10. The Lord brings the counsel of nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the people. God's way is for his people to trust that he can accomplish his will with or without perfect people or perfect government. I'll give you an illustration. Some people decide to vote based on the character of a person. And that is indeed a legitimate reason. Some people decide to vote on the basis of the platform of the party represented by the candidate. And that, indeed, is a legitimate reason. And then some people decide to vote on the basis of policies of the candidate. And that also is a legitimate reason. And character perhaps is a narrow thing, and perhaps platform is not as narrow, but nonetheless narrow, but then there are policies, and that waterfront is enormous. Let's say for the sake of conversation, there are 10 policies that matter, 
to you. Ten. Six of them matter a lot. Four of them don't matter so much. And one of them matters so much that it poisons everything else. You look at it and you say, on the basis of those policies, I can or I cannot vote for that person to provide good government. I'm a Christian, and I want to vote for good government. And that person is going to be the agent of good government based on what I know about the things that matter, person, platform, policies. I put all that together in my hopper, my mind, and I vote. You do the same thing. Maybe you're single issue, maybe you're not. Maybe there's four or five issues, and when you pull them all together, they're even more weighty than the single issue of somebody else. Maybe character matters more than anything. Uh, I, could, I could go on and on. We have illustration after illustration after illustration. The reality is you have to vote your conscience, and you will or you won't. But if you do, understand this. That your will, as important as it is, may not be the will of the people. Hmm. What's wrong with those people? But I'll give you one more, one better. Your will, as important as it is, may not be the will of God. As informed as you may think yourself, as dedicated as you may think yourself, you still may not be accomplishing the will of God. But that doesn't release you from doing what you should do. I'll give you an illustration that works for me. Let's assume for the sake of conversation that you're a father or a mother, if you ladies, and you're the you're the parents of a big family, let's say 10, 12 children, a bunch of kids. All right, so they're, they're all the way from infants to teenagers. And they all live in this house. And you, because this is the way big families have to work, right? You give jobs. So somebody's in charge of trash. Somebody's in charge of dishes. Somebody's in charge of cooking. Somebody's in charge of cleaning. Somebody's in charge of taking care of the baby. Somebody's in charge of animals. Somebody's in charge of the yard. Somebody's in charge of the car. Somebody's in charge of all this stuff. So we've got all these jobs, and everybody's got a job to do. All right, so if you're the person in charge of the trash, what's your job? Trash. What's going to happen if you don't do your job? Let's just say for two days. You've got a big family, 12 kids. You ever seen trash generated by 12 kids? You know how often the trash has got to go out? A lot. But you're going to take a break and not do anything for two days. You know how that's going to end? Poorly. So if you're dad, you're going to come in and you're going to say, little, little Johnny, little Greggy, you didn't do your job. Well, 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 well. I didn't think it was that big of a deal. I didn't think it was that important. I, I, just, you know, I just figured you, know, you had other things. and It really wouldn't matter. It really wouldn't matter. Well, of course, if you're the father, what's the father doing? The father's not doing trash. Because that's little Greggy's job. The father doesn't do trash. He's got people to do trash. What the father does is he's, he's taking care of the whole enchilada. He's in charge of deciding how we're going to find money for braces for all these kids. Which is a little weightier 
than taking out the trash, little Greggy. Somebody's got to be in charge of how we're going to get these kids educated. Somebody's going to decide about how we're going to pay for the car insurance when they all start to drive. This is the level of dad. Then, then he's thinking, you know, I just learned that the wife is expecting again and the house is not big enough. What do we get? We need a new house. But your job, little Greggy, is to take out the trash. But I'm telling you, it's important to know that there is someone taking care of all that big stuff so that I can be who I'm supposed to be. But the notion that somehow my part, taking out the trash, is unimportant is not based in fact. My part does matter. Your part matters. Here we are, one group of people, one church. We're not, we're not the world. We're not the state. We're not the county. We're not even the city. We're just one church. And our part, does it matter? Absolutely. Because if we don't do our part, it's just going to stack up. It's going to stack up. It's going to stack up. We got to do our part. We got to do our part. And we got to know that there's somebody else in charge of stuff that's above our pay grade, that's above our knowledge, that's above our thinking. Because I don't have to worry about that. There are people worried about that. And there are people above them that are worried about them, taking care of them, and so forth. And ultimately, my great peace is not in the trust of men or the trust of horses or the trust of the resources of men, but rather my trust is in the Lord. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. Where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of earth, and he fashions the heart of them all and observes their deeds. God's way is for his people to trust that he can accomplish his will. There is something going on, and God is at work. He's at work, and he wants to use me and you and our part, little as it may be, he wants to use our part to accomplish his will. Now, you may think, or preachers may tell you, or politicians may tell you, this is the will of God, but be very careful because God works in mysterious ways. One illustration, and I close. You don't have to turn there, but I'll read it. Psalm, or rather, Isaiah 46, verse 8. The nation's in captivity in Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar's the king. And God says through Isaiah, I'm going to send you home. This powerful king is not going to hold sway. And this is what he says. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old. For I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish my purpose, calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country. I have spoken, I will bring it to pass. I have purposed, and I will do it. Now, you folks are Bible students. Who is he referencing in Isaiah 46, 11? I'm calling a bird of prey. Laura, put that back up. I'm calling a bird of prey from the east. The man of my counsel from a far country. Now, who overthrew Babylon? 
that allowed Israel to come back to the promised land? I'll tell you the answer is Persia. And who is the king of Persia? Cyrus. And who is Cyrus? Well, I'll tell you who he's not. He's not a follower of God. He's not a Jew. He's a pagan. And God said, I'm going to call a bird of prey from the east, a man of my counsel from a far journey. You know, I don't know what God's up to. And I don't know anybody else who does either. I just know this. He's up to the same thing he's always been up to. And that is he's calling people from every nation, every tribe, and every tongue to come out of darkness to his marvelous light and to be saved and to be one. And the things that divide us are of this world. And the things that divide us are not of God. And the things that divide us are important, but they are not essential. And what is essential is that no matter how many times folks do things that you don't agree with as matters of conscience, not as matters of morality, but as matters of conscience, you are nonetheless required to love them. And you do so because you trust in God. God is greater than his vote or her vote or their vote or their election. God is greater because God is up to something that we don't understand, that we cannot understand. My great cry today is, God, save America, not by the government, but in spite of the government. Save America. And God is not going to do that by a bunch of politicians. He's going to do that because the people of God fall on their face and eat the carpet in calling out to God, save our nation. God may be judging America. And if so, there's not a cotton-picking thing you or I can do about it except cry out to him for mercy. But if he's not judging America, we still only have one thing to do, which is to call out to God to turn America back to him. Our nation has never been more godless. Our nation has never been more immoral. Our nation has never been more in need of the gospel. And we are the people of the living God who know this gospel. Let us go to the polls. Let us vote. And let us pray that God will do more than elect people. But God will save our land. And that God will raise up churches that are bold and brave for the sake of the gospel. And that Christ will go forth to all the world. And Jesus will rule in our hearts, in our church, and by God's grace in our land. That's my prayer. And I beg of you to join me in it.
Let us be faithful to do our part while God is doing his. Let's pray together now. God, how I thank you for your mercies to me and to these. We are here today because of the kindness of God and the goodness of God and the glories of Christ. Thank you for that. We are desperate to follow you today. We pray, Father, that you'd give us grace as we trust you. We lean upon your understanding, your will, your way, and not our own. We thank you for the privilege that we have in America to vote. And we pray for good government. We pray that you would use our votes to bring about good government. But ultimately, Lord, we know that what we need is a transformation, not of something outside of man, but that which is inside of man. We need a change of heart, and you're the only one who can bring it about. So, Lord, please give much grace. We need you, and we are looking to you. Come and help us. Make much of Jesus in our lives today. In his name we pray.